Father, we come to you in Yeshua's name. I ask, Lord, as we dig into the word, that you would, above all, by your ruach, speak to our hearts and enlighten us. That I can say a lot of things, but I ask that only that which is you that you would emphasize, and I pray that what I say would glorify you. I pray, Lord, that we take what I say to heart. In Yeshua's name, amen. Okay, I have a lot to cover. I didn't intend it to be. The title of my sermon, my message, is My Servant Caleb. And that's from Numbers 14, as well as Joshua uh, 14. And I'll explain that a little more, but when, why this sermon? I was listening to a series of sermons by a pastor about people in the Bible, though flawed and cracked, were used by God. They were called by God. Some, like Caleb, were average, ordinary people, they came into view in the Bible like Caleb and did a few things and then came back in again in Joshua and then sort of went off into history and is, except uh, during David's time when one of his descendants uh, was acting obnoxious to uh, David. Um, but otherwise, there are some... There isn't a lot known about Caleb, but the Lord has said what he has done is memorialized him, and the Lord gave him, called him my servant Caleb, which is an extraordinary thing to say. God himself calling Caleb my servant. So I was listening to a series of sermons by a pastor about people in the Bible, though flawed, were called by God. Some, like Caleb, were average ordinary people which the Lord used mightily. <clears throat> I began to realize when I was listening to this sermon about the possibility of learning from Caleb's life, particularly in these times, how he was surrounded by millions of people who were not only anxious but in full-fledged rebellion against the Lord. I also realized there were some similarities to present-day events in the United States and the world. More on that later. First, let's read and discuss a couple of scriptures. Turn to Numbers 14. I'll read most of Numbers uh, verses 1 through uh, 24. Some of it, some I'll paraphrase because of time. Verse 1 of Numbers 14, Then all the congregation raised their voices and cried out. I'm reading from the NASB, by the way. And cried out, and the people wept that night. And all the sons of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron, and the entire congregation said to them, If only we had died in the land of Egypt, or even if we had died in this wilderness. So why is the Lord bringing us into this land to fall by the sword? Our wives and our little ones will become plunder. Would it not be better for us to return to Egypt? So they said to one another, 
Let's appoint a leader and return to Egypt. I mean, after everything the Lord has done. And, uh, and then verse 5 through 10, where it says Moses and Aaron and Joshua and Caleb, I'm paraphrasing this part, you know, fell on their faces and cried out to the congregation of Israel, saying the land, in verse 7, the land which we pass through to spy out is exceedingly good land. The Lord is pleased with us, then he will bring us into this land and give it to us, a land which flows with milk and honey. Only do not rebel against the Lord and do not fear the people of the land, for they will be our prey. Their protection is gone from them, and the Lord is with us. Do not fear them. But all the congregation said to stone them with stones. Then the glory of the Lord appeared in the tent of meeting to all the sons of Israel. So the verse 20, so the Lord said, I, um, and what I'd, I'd missed is Moses asking the Lord to forgive them and in verse 20, it says, So the Lord said, I have forgiven them in accordance with your word. However, as I live, all, as I live, all the earth will be filled with the glory of the Lord. Certainly all the people who have seen my glory and my signs, which I performed in Egypt and in the wilderness, and have put me to the test these ten times and have not listened to my voice, shall by no means See the land which I swore to their fathers, nor shall any of those who were disrespectful to me see it. But as for my servant Caleb, that's probably three of the most amazing words, you know, like my servant Moses, my servant Abraham. There's an average, every leader of Israel that God deliberately says my servant because he has a different spirit and has followed me fully I will bring him into the land which he entered and his descendants shall take possession of it here we see Caleb and Joshua standing and coming against the full-scale rebellion of almost 99.99 percent of the Israelites just imagine that Caleb, Joshua, Moses, and Aaron standing against several million people and everything the Lord had done for them. All the miracles, the giving of the law, food in the desert, water, and so forth, they still did not believe that they would make it into the promised land. The result was the Lord executing judgment against them, stating that though he forgives them, they must receive the just punishment for their crimes, denial into the promised land. And this is something we need to grapple with. I've heard pastors, few pastors talk about this. Israel experienced this going into Babylon. Sometimes we need to realize that we can go too far in our rebellion and sins. Even as saints of the Lord, we can be forgiven, but the sin is too grievous and has gone too far and must be punished. And we need to realize that though we have a we could have a revival in this country, it's possible we've gone too far and the Lord may still punish us. Because that's what parents do, you know, you have to punish the sins. Otherwise, it happens again. 
It happened in Israel before the Babylonian invasion, and it could happen to us in the U.S. Even with forgiveness and possible revival, we could still be punished and disciplined because of all our sins. Yet Caleb and Joshua were different. They had a different spirit. They gave the minority report, rebuking the majority report. We will discuss later what Caleb would have likely done before this episode that would enable him to do the right thing. So we're sort of bouncing around here time-wise. So go to Joshua 14, verse 6. Starting in verse 6, Joshua chapter 14, verse 6. I'll start reading as you're going there. Then the sons of Judah approached Joshua and Gilgal, and Caleb the son of Jephunneh the Kenizzite said to him, You know the word which the Lord spoke to Moses, the man of God, on account of you and me in Kadesh Barnea. I was 40 years old when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to spy out the land, and I brought word back to him as it was in my heart. Nevertheless, my brothers who went up with me made the heart of this people melt with fear, but I followed the Lord my God fully. So Moses swore on that day, saying, The land on which your foot has walked shall certainly be an inheritance to you and to your children forever, because you have followed the Lord my God fully. And now behold, the Lord has let me live just as he spoke these 45 years from the time that the Lord spoke this word to Moses when Israel walked in the wilderness, and behold, I am 85 years old today. So they crossed in after 40 years, and then he went with them for five years to fight those battles. I'm still as strong today as I was on that day Moses sent me, as my strength was then, so my strength was now, for war and for going out and coming in. Now then, give me this hill country, and some translations say mountainous country, could be both still at 85 years old to conquer a hill mountainous country is uh, wonderful about which the Lord spoke on that day for you heard on that day that Anakim were there the giants with great fortified city perhaps the Lord will be with me and I will drive them out just as the Lord has spoken which he did here we see Caleb 45 years later receiving his promised land he and Caleb were the two oldest people in the nation. Both were easily 20 years or more older than anyone else. Imagine that Caleb, being 40, 85 years old, and with the Lord's help, willing to take on hilly terrain, possibly mountains, and rid the land of pagan giants, which he did. Caleb was an ordinary person, so we need to get away from this culture of stars. I believe God is speaking to all of us. This, that is, he was an example to us of the importance of following after the Lord and his word. He is an example to us to adhere to God's holy word despite everyone around us refusing to do so, whether deliberately or through neglect. In these end times, we need to remember Caleb, despite those around us, whether in a congregation or outside of one, who are actually falling away from the faith. 
Caleb waited 40 years to get to the promised land and a few more years to actually conquer the land. The remarkable thing, as I said, he was in his 80s and still going strong, still agile and strong. So can we say the same thing? Can we stand on God's word despite being surrounded by hell on earth? When we study the life of Caleb, we need to remember that Caleb was just a man and stayed that way. And you don't have to turn there in 1 Corinthians, uh, something I'll get to either uh, soon, 10, chapter 10, verse 11. Now these things happened to them as an example, and they were written for our instruction upon whom the end of the ages have come. So what's written in the Bible, these people are written for our instruction. We can learn from them. We just, we can learn from them. Just don't insert yourself into the story. It's not, a, you know, Caleb conquering the giants. It's not about us conquering our giants. We don't, you know, otherwise you're basically distorting the interpretation. You're, um, that's not how you interpret scripture. You know, we're not King David. We don't have a Goliath in our life. Do not read more into a scripture than what is written. We can, however, see similar patterns in other people. We need to take God's word as it is seen to us, not reading more than is there if possible. However, based on experience by us and in the lives of others in scriptures, there are some things we can see hints of, possibly get guess at, and I'll talk about that a little later. Caleb and Joshua were surrounded by millions of others in Israel that rebelled. They were two out of millions that obeyed. Even Moses didn't make it. We need to remember that just because the majority report is one way does not mean that it is right, moral, or godly. We can see that today. Even among the people of God, Remember the 400 prophets of Baal compared to one prophet? I think it was Micaiah. One voice in a crowd of millions is sometimes the correct voice. How Caleb must have felt in being only one of two people, the Bible does not say. What it does say, as we have just read, is that the Lord commanded him for his stand and stated that he would receive the promises of God. With Caleb, though, we see the Lord complimenting Caleb by calling him my servant. It is a title and frequently used in the word of God, but in Caleb's case, it is a label that will remain with him in scripture throughout eternity as a testimony to others. God himself complimenting Caleb. In 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 14, you don't have to turn there. For it is not he who commends himself that is approved, but he whom the Lord commends. As I said earlier, we do not know specifically what brought him to this point, that being Caleb, but it would seem certain, and I was listening to a other uh, about half a dozen other sermons, some more than once, and they would all agree, if they're correct, that he had to have been raised that way, whether by his grandparents or his parents, and he took it to heart. But even with that, 
God had to be working in his life because without the Spirit of God, man isn't capable of being obedient to God. So there was sort of a, two things going on where Caleb was listening to what was being said and the Lord was confirming it by helping him be obedient. So it would seem certain that someone or someone's raised him to trust God, not just in the flesh, but for someone to follow the Lord as Caleb did, that person would have to be influenced or filled with the Ruach HaKodesh of Adonai, the Holy Spirit of God. So essentially what we have is an entire nation of people who rejected the Lord, his spirit, his word, and everything he did for them, resulting in judgment and wrath. As I said, only two people, with the Lord's help, got it right. As I stated earlier, Caleb represented the minority report versus the majority report. And like I said, it's possible for an entire group of people to have an opinion on something, even following through with it, even justifying it with scripture and being completely wrong. Sometimes a small group of people are the ones who are correct and biblical. We are in a day like Caleb where society around us is in almost complete rebellion. Well, it is in complete rebellion against the Lord and acting out their fantasies. And I don't even need to elaborate on that. <laughs> to be honest, not only that, but as the scripture has stated through Paul, we are in a pre-tribulational time, probably, where the body of Messiah is in the midst of apostasy, the falling the great apostasy where people are falling away practically in droves. The reports I'm getting, people and churches are falling away from the faith. Churches are chasing like the world around them, spiritual fantasies and abandoning scripture in the process. And some of them are like flipping over like in a matter of weeks. They're just like one week, it's one way, and then a few months later, they're like this totally different congregation. Churches are, um, pastors are endorsing worldly woke theology. Some are following errant and blatantly unscriptural things. Many are calling blatantly pagan and satanic practices, some of which are based on Eastern religions and trying to sugarcoat it by saying they have redeemed it, made it Christian, biblical. Unfortunately, scripture forbids such things and some of the people in ministries are quite famous. Some of the major ministries and some of the less than major ministries are on record, and I've heard these in the last year, stating on their radio, TV, or print media, or on the internet, they receive calls and letters all the time, generally several every week, that they can no longer find a decent Bible-based congregation anymore. Some have said for dozens of miles in every direction for where they live. I have heard, myself heard the ministry state that either in their audio teachings or in their print and media, internet media. There's a local ministry, which I won't name. She has gone on her weekly program saying that she gets letters all the time saying she, that we can't find a decent Bible-based church anymore. First, we need, as expressed earlier, to understand that standing up for God and his words and promises are not popular anymore. 
probably never really were. Even among those who call themselves followers and believers in Yeshua and his death on the tree. It is possible for almost the entire group of them to be wrong and going in the wrong direction. And I'm not saying we're perfect. Please. Uh, how Caleb got to the place where he's able to do what, like I said, is not detailed in Scripture. It seems reasonably certain that Caleb, like Joseph, as I'll talk about, and others in Scripture, lived his life to glorify God and did not back down. In Matthew chapter 13, verse 12, says, For whoever has, to him more will be given, and he will have an abundance, but whoever does not have, even what he has shall be taken away from him. So God honored Caleb, and he'll honor those who follow him. Based on other examples in the Bible, I think it is reasonable to assume he had to have made a habit, this being Caleb, of putting God first and putting his words first. So when the time came to enter the promised land, Caleb had years of experience in this area. It was second nature whereas others around him were not prepared or refused to be prepared, resulting in an almost wholesale rebellion. We need to remember that rebellion is not always obvious to the rebel. They may believe they are doing the correct thing when in fact they are rebelling against God. Others in the Bible did the same thing. Earlier last week, I was listening to a sermon I came across by a pastor from Australia who was preaching through the book of Genesis. I don't listen to a lot of it, but he did one on Sodom that just blew me away. It so clarified what we're going through nowadays. One of the things he mentioned in, in a recent message is that Joseph was tempted by Potiphar's wife and he kept mentioning that there's actually no name of the wife given in Scripture. So that type of thing was common in Egypt, face painting with uh, charcoal, types of sheer clothing due to the climate. Everybody wore sheer clothing because it was a hot climate. Adultery and so on were common to the Egyptians. So common, in fact, according to what I have read in the past, that they did not think twice about committing adultery. Yet Joseph put God first. So what Joseph said to Potiphar's wife must have like shocked her, because it's like, who says that? So Joseph was willing to stand against the tide. And that's how we can sort of see what happened to Caleb, is Joseph, like Caleb, had made a habit of being obedient and so when it actually happened, it was just part of his nature to be obedient. Yeah, I mean, we all stumble. Yet Joseph put God first. He was willing to stand against the tide and say no, though it would cost him not only his position, but could cost him his life. Caleb, likewise, was willing to stand against the tide and say with God's help, we can do it. Why? Because he, like Joseph, was living a life that put God first and honored him above all. So doing it that way became part of the fabric of his life. He not only said it, but it was used he but he was used to living it, unlike everyone else around Caleb.
So we who are in the end times, with the church apostatizing in places following unbiblical doctrines that never existed and were never practiced by the body of Messiah or Yeshua himself, we're seeing increases in violence, strange doctrines and beliefs, woke theology in churches. People, believers or non-believers, are now being fired from jobs for not adhering to ungodly rules of sexual preference. And I see this all the time in the news. I think Frank does too. And I, you know, there is like fame. There's a famous author, not in this country, and I won't mention this person's name, who stood up against some of the gender th theology out there. She's not a believer. And she's been frozen out of shows because she didn't adhere to the party line. People, believers or non-believers, are now being fired from jobs for not adhering to ungodly rules of sexual preference. Even in the bastions of woke theology, colleges and university, it is happening to secular, unsaved people I see it a few times a month now. So the question we have to ask ourselves now and every day after this is, are we willing to stick to scriptural norms rather than sink into the mire and swamps of worldly life? Like Caleb, are we willing to wait for extended periods of time to receive what is due us? When our lives are ended, will we finish biblically or unbiblically? Caleb waited 40 years to cross to the promised land. Are we willing to stand firm as well? What will it cost us? Think about that. Imagine the disappointment of Caleb. The Lord did not say to Caleb and Joshua that they could go in, but nobody else did. They had to wait 40 years to receive just like everybody else did. They had to suffer the consequences of other people's sins just like everyone else. In the coming days, we need to be like Caleb and Joshua, stand on God's word till the end of our lives, whenever that is, the end of our lives on this earth. What does Yeshua and the Brit Hadashah have to say on the issue of standing firm? <coughs> I'll read a couple scriptures here. There are five scriptures. I'll probably have a link to a page on the podcast about the importance of standing firm. I've only got five scriptures here. The list on that page was almost endless. So it's not just the end times. It's throughout scripture, God expects us to stand firm and warns us to stand firm. So in Matthew chapter 10, verse 21, I'll read it. And also in Mark 13, 13, in the context of talking about he was just releasing his disciples into the community to preach the good news. And he says, this is an excerpt from it, brother, in the, and in some ways it's not just the disciples, it's what will happen for years, decades, centuries, millennia afterwards as he releases each one of his disciples in the community Brother will betray brother to death and a father his child, and children will rise up against parents and cause them to be put to death. We see that in, like, in India and Muslim countries. You will be hated by all because of my name, but it is the one who has endured to the end 
who will be saved. So God, the Lord is through Yeshua is asking us to endure. And in Matthew 24, verses 9 through 12, which is more eschatologically talking about the end times, but when you talk about the end times, there's always a sort of a now and not yet, because this was written, this is specifically about the end times, but we also have to remember that the way Yeshua phrased it also, he was talking like there would be like sequences of time. He will deliver you to tribulation and will kill you, and you will be hated by all nations because of my name. So that, this was sort of a now. He was speaking to the disciples now. At that time, many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another. There is not yet. Many false prophets will arise and will mislead many. That's sort of now and not yet. That happens throughout time. Because lawlessness is increased, which is happening now, most people's love will grow cold, but the one who endures to the end, he will be saved. So whenever, our, how, whenever and however our life ends, we're with the Lord after that. And so he wants us to endure to the end whenever that is. Again in Matthew, we see the same thing, but in a different way in places. Here we see the pressures of falling away that is betraying the Lord and one another, the pressure of listening to and adhering to false prophets and their false teachings, the pressure to cave in under the pressure of the lawlessness of society. It will not get better, only worse. If I read scripture correctly, we, will we be a witness of peace in the midst of chaos or will we contribute to the problem? Will the result of all this be a hard art the love of most will grow cold, as he said. Most of all, when we stand on the Lord's word, are we willing to endure to the end of our life, leaving a good witness to other, even the unsaved? We need to remember that when the Lord gives prophecy, he has in the above statements, sometimes there is a now and sometimes a not yet kind of feel to it. These sentences were given 2,000 years ago. Some of it came true within a few years. Some did, most didn't. People were falling away then as they are now, but not on the scale they are now. False prophets existed then as they do now, but not on the scale they are now. Lawlessness existed then, but not like it is now. And talk about end times. I heard a report a few weeks ago by a German-based American missionary, church planter and general entrepreneur. I've read his book, and it's a theology book. He digs into aberrant theology and does a very good job of it. Uh, one of the better books I've read on that subject of analyzing aberrant theology. And he stated in Germany, and I had heard, heard this from uh, another person, but because I didn't know this person, so to speak, didn't know anything about him, I didn't pay attention, but because I read this American missionary in Germany, read his book, I, I took it more seriously, and I, um, that there are groups, and I won't give names, probably Frank and Tim would know who I'm talking about, 
that are going around Europe, this was out of the guy's mouth, attempting to take over churches and reinvent them in their own image in theology. And from what he's aware of, he's in Germany, but from what he's aware of, and this other person said the same thing, that virtually every born-again church in Europe, including the Baptists, have been taken over by these groups. And I've heard, like I say, from another German. So basically, both have said, and they're both in Germany, that they know of no uncompromised born-again church in Europe. They're literally going from church to church trying to inject themselves into the life of the congregation. Whether then or now, we need to remember that Yeshua stated that we are to stand firm and hold on, endure to the end. So you see the tie in there? It is all too easy nowadays to fall away. Yeshua asks us to endure till our time on this earth comes to an end, whenever and however that occurs. Here's some other, three other scriptures. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. This is about standing firm, enduring to the end. Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us also lay aside, push aside, every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, on Yeshua, the author and perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, the tree, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him who has endured such hostility by sinners against himself, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. So Yeshua is our example to not give up to be like Caleb, to be the two out of a million people that is willing to stand in front of, you know, against the tide. Here we see the necessity of studying the word of God and to learn from those the Lord has graciously included in his pages, like Caleb, Abraham, Joseph, Moses, David, and so on. The writer of Hebrews emphasizes that we not only learn from their lives, but allow God's word to perfect our faith, endure the shame of the execution stake, the cross that he has given to us, and keep moving forward to not grow weary and lose heart. Another scripture is Psalm verses 1 through verses one through 3. I'll actually, I think I'll read all six verses so we see the whole thing in context. How blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. He will be like a tree firmly planted by streams of water, which yields his fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither, and whatever he does, he prospers." The wicked are not so, but they are like chaff, which the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Here we see the importance of not walking in the counsel of the wicked, nor taking their paths or sitting in their counsel. 
Rather, we are to meditate on God's word day and night so we can endure and prosper. And then a word from Saul, Shaul, Paul, Philippians chapter 3, verses 12 through 14. Not that I have already obtained it or have already become perfect, but I press on so that I may lay hold of that for which I was laid hold of by Messiah Yeshua. So Messiah Yeshua laid hold of Paul, and what Paul does in reciprocity, because of that, he tries to lay hold of what God has given him. Brethren, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Messiah Yeshua. Here we see Paul, Saul, stating quite clearly the importance of forgetting what he was before Yeshua the Messiah, and educationally he would have been an amazing person, and pressing forward to whatever the Lord has for him ahead. We forget that though he was an apostle, a missionary, a sent one from the Lord, he considered himself a bondservant of the Lord. In fact, if I have heard these, this interpretation right, he thought that he as an apostle were like the criminals found in Roman ships below decks that were at any moment he could drown and perish. He was like a criminal, considered, considered himself almost like a criminal. Being with the Lord, he would perish and be with the Lord. Compare that to present-day leadership, whether in the secular world or in the body of Messiah, and compare that to Paul, who considered that the best thing in his life and the only thing worth keeping and pursuing is knowing Yeshua and everything else is a dirty rag. And to be honest, the dirty rag, when you read that, is a menstrual cloth. So in conclusion, and to review, we need to not only read and study the life of Caleb and those like him, but we need to take some things to heart. Caleb was willing, as led by the Lord, to stand for the Lord. He was willing, like Joseph in Egypt, to be the minority, even when society says otherwise. Are we willing to be the minority report? One plus God is a majority as far as eternity is concerned. Or will we go with the current flow and compromise, knowing that someday we will face the Lord and answer for our choices? Amen. Father, we ask, I ask that you would take what I have said and whatever is of you, please lay hold of it in our heart. And help us to live this as the days go on and the time ahead. May we learn to stand on your word, even though everything around us is crumbling and getting bad. May we learn to stand on you and your word. In Yeshua's name, amen.